Hey everyone, and welcome to What's Up with Pastor Chuck. This week we had special guest speaker Lee Strobel at the church, and he is here on Pastor Chuck's podcast where they go into even more detail about Lee Strobel's journey to faith. Stay tuned. Hey everybody, welcome to What's Up with Pastor Chuck. I'm super excited to be back with you again. And I want to tell you, I have been loving our new series, Get in the Game, where we're helping you understand what you believe and why you believe, so you can share that with people in a way that makes sense. And you're equipped to actually do what Jesus wants us to do, and Peter specifically said we should do, and that's make a defense of our faith to everyone who asks for the hope that's within us. Uh, We, as soon as we came up with the idea of the series, uh, wanted more than ever to have Lee Strobel be with us. Uh, Lee wrote an incredible book called The Case for, Case for Christ, The Case for Faith. And, and then, by the way, he had another book that I love that that's out there on what would Jesus say to, uh, which was one of my favorite books by uh, Lee Strobel. And it was say to Madonna, say to Bill Clinton. Uh, by the way, that is the way to interact with people. If you read nothing else, it's how would we interact with people graciously, respectfully, but honestly. Uh, so if you ever want to grab that book, it's a good one too. But Lee is on the podcast right now. And Lee, welcome. Thanks, Chuck. I love being with you, man. You fire me up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you got to cut the uh, caffeine out a little uh, bit. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I'm always running at like 150 miles an hour. <laughs> By the way, intellectually too, it's just always going, um, which I love. But I have wanted to have you come be with us. Thank Thanks. you for being with us. Sure. Um, but the first question I want to ask is going back into the past when you were an atheist and your wife started getting uh, actually very. Well, she committed her life to Christ, yeah, uh, and and very real commitment to Christ, and that wasn't something you were ready for. Right. Then you decided to research Christianity to see whether it w- what could hold up from a journalist perspective, right? Because you're an award winning journalist, uh, Chicago Sun, by the way. I think Ch- it's Chicago Tribune. Yeah. Oh, Tribune. Oh, yeah. oh no. Yeah. Oh, oh man, that was to, bad. Got competition there. <laughs> yeah, that was not good. <laughs> so Chicago, Chicago Tribune. Right. Then you began to research it, and you started finding out it was true. Yeah. Was there a moment that it started becoming so true it almost made you mad? I got mad several times. It took me almost two years of my life to investigate the evidence and come to the conclusion that Christianity is true, the resurrection is real, Jesus is who he claimed to be. Uh, but several times, and I'll tell you, it was a subtle thing that was going on, but what one thing that made me mad, the more my wife, uh, as a new Christian, lived a life of holiness, the more she lived a life of sincerity and of commitment to God and of truthfulness, it was like she was holding up a mirror, unintentionally, but holding up this mirror, because I was seeing myself in contrast to that and my life being encrusted with cynicism and corruption and and narcissism. And so uh, she didn't do it intentionally, but just the contrast made me mad. It made me um, see things in myself I didn't want to recognize and I didn't want to admit, which is I was a, I was a sinner. I was a drunk and I was a, uh, a narcissist. And, and so that made me mad. And, and, you know, I'd go to church every once in a while and uh, with Leslie and I'd hear the pastor say something that would make me mad and I wouldn't go back for several weeks. But then uh-huh. I'd think, you know what, maybe he's right. And then I'd go back. And so it was a, almost a two-year journey in all. Okay, the reason I ask that, I think a lot of us, when we go to share our faith, we do get pushback. Yeah. 
And I think we don't understand that may not be a bad thing. That could be a good thing. There's conviction. There's That's wrestling. Right. That's right. Conviction is uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, who wants to be? Who wants to come to the realization they're a sinner? It's um, not a comfortable uh, realization to come to. So yeah, we have to recognize that people are going to react in different ways, and our responsibility is to um, uh, help them see what the gospel is and understand it, and and let God do in them what He did in us. That is so good. That is so good. Um, the other question I had, and when I was, um, and I've read your books, obviously, yeah. and then I watched the movie, um, and I, I can just almost feel the answer to this question coming. But in my mind, uh, you did the opposite of what most people do. Mm. I think most people subjectively come to faith. They experience God in one way or another that's beyond them, and they surrender to it, and then they begin to learn the truths behind it. Yeah. You, and then a couple other people I know, came more objectively by mm-hmm. discovering the hope that's within us, the evidence and the conviction of the things not seen. When was there, was there a moment where you began to go, whoa, this is something beyond me? You began to have not only the objective truth be real, but the subjective interaction with a God who loves you. Well, certainly at that moment at uh, about three in the afternoon on November the 8th of 1981, when I prayed to receive Christ as my forgiver and leader uh, uh, and um, uh, came to an authentic faith in him, um, now all of a sudden, my reason for believing was not only based on the evidence that brought me to that place, it was based then on my relationship with God. So in other words, if you ask me now, well, Lee, why do you believe? Do you believe because of these hundreds of pages of evidence you've written about? Well, not really. I believe because I know Jesus personally now since November 8th of 1981, and I've, I've talked to him. He's, I've seen his presence in my life. I've felt his presence in my life. So a friend of mine gave this analogy. He said, let's say on a Saturday you want to find out if your boss is at work. So you drive to the office. You see his car there. You feel the hood. The hood is warm. You go upstairs. Um, you see his office. The door is closed, but there's a light coming from under the door. You listen at the door, and you hear his voice inside. His secretary comes by, and you say, hey, is the boss in today? And she says, yes. Now, based on all that evidence, it would be logical and rational to come to the conclusion that your boss is in the office. But if you knock on the door, and he opens the door, that doesn't negate all that evidence. But now I know for sure, I know personally, uh, that because inter- I'm interacting with him, that he's there. And it's the same with God. You know, the, the evidence is important. It leads us to that place of yielding our life to him and receiving his forgiveness and, 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 and gift of eternal life is this gift of grace. But then we begin to begin a relationship with him. And, you know, after over 30 years now of a relationship with God, you couldn't convince me he doesn't exist. Trying to tell me my wife doesn't exist. I mean, there's just too much personal evidence. So both are important. The objective evidence is important as well. Um, But it's the personal, the subjective evidence that I think ultimately is the strongest. You know, the Bible says the Holy Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we're saved, that we're in God's family. And, you know, non-believers can't really understand that. What are you talking about there? But if you're a believer, you know what that is. There's a a sense in our hearts, in our souls, that I am adopted as a child of the God. I'm safely in his family forever. Um, And and that is the ultimate source of our hope. Okay, that is so cool. By the way, I've never heard that illustration, but it just makes so much sense because 
it's not that we don't have evidence. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think that's the thing I love about our faith. It's, it is faith, but it's faith built on, we're standing on a mountain of evidence before we take the leap. That's right. That's right. The way I say it is the evidence points in a direction, you know, and there are about 20 arrows of evidence that point in the direction of the truth of Christianity. Do we have to take a step of faith? Yeah, but it's in the same direction the evidence are po- is pointing. Uh, the ev- the uh, arrows are, of evidence are pointing. And, and that's logical and rational. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here drinking an iced tea. And and uh, Tracy, your your assistant here, gave it to me. It could have been poison. How do I know that? You know, how do I know it isn't poison? Right. Well, you know, it looks good. It, it looks clear. Um, it, it's in a clean cup. Tracy has no reason to hurt me. Uh, it smells like iced tea, but. Because of that evidence, I taste and I see that it is good. And that's what the Bible says about God. We, we follow the evidence, but ultimately we have to taste and see that he's good. But it's logical and rational for me to take a sip of this iced tea, just as it's logical and rational to take a step of faith in the same direction the evidence is pointing and put our trust in Christ. Yeah, and and you know there are everyone has their journeys with God, and so yeah. I would never take away from that. And I know there are people who at times struggle with doubts, even Christians, sure. and that's okay. By yeah. the way, it's okay. But I'm with you. I need to say that that I and it doesn't make me better than anybody, but I'm in a place I know He's so real, just yeah. like my wife Pam. I would never doubt His existence. Yes. I might doubt myself sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> right, but. And what all I want to say is, again, it's not making someone bad or good, no. but you can come to a place where you're experiencing God in such a real way, and the evidence still helps. It helps you. That's right. And, you know, uh, the Bible says, these things are written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. One of the great things about the Christian faith is you can know for sure that you're adopted as a child of God. You know, if you come to him in repentance and faith, receive his free gift of grace, you can have confidence that you are, quote unquote, born again, that you are adopted as a son or daughter of the Most High. And, um, and, and you know, that's not true of other religions where you want, am I good enough? Am I, have I done enough? Have I achieved enough? Am I moral enough? Um, you know, this is not a works-based deal. This is a grace-based deal. Uh, big difference. Oh, yeah, huge difference. I watched an interview with Muhammad Ali oh, not yeah. long before he died, mm-hmm. and he was crying in the interview. And he kept thinking, I don't know that I've done enough. I don't know I've done oh, enough. I don't goodness. know I've done enough. No kidding. Yeah, and, you know, obviously he was an Islamic. And, sure. And, um, but, but I sat there thinking, okay, this is exactly why God does yes. not want us to feel this way. He yes. wants us to know grace. And, yes, absolutely. Yeah, and it's not based on who, what we've done, it, but, but it does happen to be based on believing in what he's done. Yes, exactly, exactly. That's the beauty of grace. You know, C.S. Lewis once was um, walking the hallways at uh, Oxford or Cambridge, wherever he was, and, and he heard an argument coming from a room of scholars who were arguing about something. And he goes in and said, what are you guys arguing about? And they said, well, we're trying to determine, you know, what is unique? What is truly unique about Christianity? And C.S. Lewis said, well, grace. You know, every other world religion is based on some sort of work system to try to achieve some level of morality and accomplishment to try to earn your way to God. Uh, Christianity, and and so all other religions are spelled D-O, do something to achieve. Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. It's done, it's paid for, Jesus said it's finished. Um, We just need to receive it uh, as a gift of grace. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And you know, I'm I'm a I'm a grandfather. I, yeah. Me too. Oh, you are too. Yeah. Okay, I was just gonna say, I, wonder, have? I have five. Oh, I got four. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. One more coming. No. Yeah. Oh, I, I wish. <laughs> Mine are. You know, my my kids. They tell me they're done having kids, and and um, 
the bummer I feel is I, no more infants. You know, the infants yes. are so great just to hold them and, and uh, hug them. And uh, so now they're all growing up. Now I got a teenage granddaughter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have. My twins are 13. So. Oh, really? Well, my gra- oldest granddaughter's 13. So yeah. There yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah. The one thing I love is I, I love my kids. I always joke with our staff that, you know, you, you love your kids, but if I had a choice of saving my child or my grandchild, <laughs> it's no, no competition, you know. But I sat with my my grandkids a while back, and they both just voiced, you know, we know there's nothing, Papa, we ever have to do to get you to love us. Yeah. And um, I that, that's a sign of God. That's, that's how God true. is to, towards us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so I don't want this time to go without something I'm super excited about because I just found out about yeah. it. Now, I knew you had a book called The Case for Miracles, yes. which I have not read, but I heard is great. Thanks. And I'm going to read it. I promise to read it. <laughs> But then it's going to be made into a movie. Yes, that's right. We're uh, in the stage. They, the way movies work is first you do a treatment, which is kind of a narrative of the story. They approve that, and then you write the script based on that. So we're in the script writing stage right now. So it'll probably be a year or two before it comes out. But uh, we're excited about it. Uh, it'll flash forward about 20 years from the first movie. Uh, we're hoping to get the same actors and, oh. and actresses because they did such a great job in the first movie. The, we have the same screenwriter, same director. And um, we're going to have a thing at the beginning of the the movie that says all of the miracles you see in this movie are true. For documentation, go to, and then we're going to have a website. So if you want to see the medical evidence, if you want to see the records from Mayo Clinic, if you want to see the statements of eyewitnesses, then you can go to that website and see it because I spent two years of my life researching the supernatural and came across incredible stories uh, that are inexplicable apart from the work of God. Okay, I am super excited about that. And so the book already has yes. a lot, uh, most all of that, if not all of it in yes. it. Yes, uh-huh. Okay, for so sure. people should read the book, and off, we ought to be praying for and getting ready for the movie to have the same effect the Case for Christ the movie had. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. yeah, so. yeah. And then we just came out with a book called The... Um, uh, the Miracles Answer Book, which is a gift book that you can give a great Christmas gift um, and beautiful little hardcover book that you can give to people who are either Christians, you want to deepen their faith, or even to a spiritually curious person who, who wonders, is God still active in the world today? Okay, so Amazon.com probably? Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay, or other places yes. too. Yeah, yeah, and just search Lee Strobel. And I, by the way, there's a lot of other books there, including The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith. Is what would Jesus say to on there? You know, it's a good question. I think it's still in print. Yeah, that was one of my first, that was my uh, my second Christian book, my third book, my second Christian book. So it goes back to like mid-1990s. Um, but, you know, I had so much fun doing that. You know, what would, what would Jesus say to Madonna, to... Um, um, Mother Teresa to you know all these different people and and uh, I was based on a series of sermons I did uh, on those topics um, and I tried to be gracious and kind but also truthful and um, uh, so it's it's a, it's a different take on things. Well, I'll tell you what is uh, first of all, if it's in print, you got to get it because it really is that good. I and many other pastors we stole we didn't steal we gave credit but we used the book for <laughs> sermons and uh, and I loved it and I took on a couple of mine. Yeah, uh, a friend of mine uh, did. What would Jesus say? to Howard Stern, and Howard Stern showed up. No kidding. No, it it really did happen, and Howard Stern sat there because it was announced he was going to do it. And when it was over, Howard Stern took him to lunch and thanked him. Wow. But he, he, my friend's gracious, but he copied the pattern of your book, which starts out with, it's not be demeaning. We don't get anywhere being demeaning, and Jesus wouldn't be demeaning, but he would be truthful. Yeah. 
You know, I, I one of my chapters, um, well, when I did it in person, I changed it for the book and did What Would Jesus Say to Madeline Murray O'Hare, which is the most famous atheist in America, modern history. Uh, but in, when I did the sermon, it was uh, what Jesus would say to uh, a, a friend of mine who was the m- most famous atheist in Chicago, and he actually came oh. and sat there. And so here I am, and I look out, and there he is sitting about the fifth row right in the aisle. And, you know, I was able to talk to him and say, this is what I think Jesus would say to an atheist. And and um, he thanked me afterwards, and um, we ended up uh, agreeing to do a debate. And we brought in Dr. William Lane Craig, great defender of oh, Christianity, yeah. and um, 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 uh, Frank Zindler, who's an atheist. And we had a debate. We had almost 8,000 people show up for, Whoa, this, yeah, for yeah. this debate. And um, it was awesome. But it all started just with that little, little message I did. Yeah, which goes back to our whole series is the idea that we really don't need to be afraid. Yeah. Um, we The answers are there. By the way, but it's okay we don't know. Like, we can be in a time and just say, I don't know. That's yeah. not a bad answer. No, sometimes that's the best answer. You know, somebody answers you a question, the worst thing you can do is bluff them yeah. and, and give a bad answer. You know, sometimes the best thing to say is, wow, that's a great question. I Frankly, I've never thought about that. I don't know the answer, but why don't we research it together? And there's so many. You know, when I was an atheist and did my research, there were hardly any books out there to help me. You yeah. know, here I am in libraries, and I'm in I'm in museums. I'm looking microfilm, and and, um, and this is back in you know the early eight, the 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 ice age. You know, yeah. back when I was a. And uh, but nowadays there's a proliferation of wonderful books. You, you, I know next year you're going to have Jay Warner Wallace here, former atheist cold case homicide yeah, next week, but yeah, or next week rather. Yeah. And um, um, you know he's written wonderful books. Or, uh, William Lane Craig. There's a lot of wonderful resources out there. So don't be afraid to uh, say I don't know, but let's check it out together. That gives you an excuse to have a further conversation. Yeah, um, I got to tell you this, even though we're going to go a little longer. Um, I wanted to get you when I was at Christ Church of the Valley to come and speak, and we weren't able to. So I reached out to William Lane Craig, and we yeah. got him. We got oh, him, great. which was so fun. And I love <laughs> William Lane Craig. Oh, yeah. So he came in and spoke. Okay, got to hear this. He came yeah. in and spoke, uh, mostly college age crowd. Yeah. And when it was over, I looked at a couple of my sharper college guys. I said, What'd you think? And they said, Well, somebody smart. Thinks we're right. <laughs> yeah, he like, is, we didn't understand his words. Hyper brilliant, hyper yeah. brilliant, and with two earned PhDs, and, and yet the nicest guy, just oh, a terrific yeah. guy. Loves the Lord, loves people, and um, um, I've learned so much from him. I've interviewed him for three of my books. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, and I've loved those interviews, and I would have him back in a second. Oh yeah. The other thing is we allow, he likes question and answer, and he was so gracious yes. with people who were not gracious. Yes. He taught us by his own demeanor. You don't have to be, you, you don't have to, you can practice high differentiation, my term, <laughs> where you can love people yes. and not see whatever they're saying in the moment as an issue to be mad about. Yes. And he was disarming and caring, and and I don't know they want him over because I think they follow him around. <laughs> but uh, but it was it was really good. It's great to see that, and and you know it's interesting that uh, the verse that you referenced earlier, 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But then it adds, and do it with gentleness and respect. Yes. And a lot of apologists or people who specialize in giving answers um, forget the gentleness and respect part. Yep. And that may be the most important part, um, because the way in which we answer a question is every bit as important as the content of the answer. Yeah, and I've loved everything you shared, but that ending there, right, might be one of the biggest of all. 
is the way. You know, it, it's uh, you know, intent um, is important, but impact's more important. Yeah. And the impact we have has got to be for Jesus and the way He loves and cares. So anyway, I hope that you've enjoyed this. I've enjoyed this. And Lee Strobel, I'm so excited that I got to meet you. Thanks, Chuck. Uh, Great to meet you. Wonderful church. And it's so, you know, I get to travel around and see the, you know, I think of Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 5, where he talked about a city on a hill that shines this message of hope and grace far and wide. And, you know, I, I come upon, I, I drove up Kellogg here, and what do I see? This city, this this ch- this church sitting on 40 acres. Who's got 40 acres in Southern California? And, and, and just proclaiming their message of hope and grace and love and redemption and eternal life far and wide. It's, it's inspiring. Well, I appreciate that. And I want to tell you some of the people who are... Um, our senior citizens, uh, yeah. they sacrificed to buy this mm-hmm. land. And the years and years ago, 1972, they said it'll be a city on a hill. And you no named kidding. it. No kidding. Isn't yeah. that awesome? Yeah. That and I great. love those people that they had that kind of yeah, foresight. Yeah, that vision. That, that, yeah, God bless them. That's yeah. great. Yeah. All right. So, hey, we also want to remind you, come next week to hear Jay Warner Wallace. And then in two weeks, I'm doing a prophecy update because the Bible's not only uh, has the evidence for our beliefs about what's happening now, but prophetically, it's 100% accurate over things that have already occurred and what's going to occur. So I want to encourage you to come for that. A heads up, that is a PG-13 sermon. Uh, we love your children, but we have a great children's ministry, and we don't want them to be in that one. So invite friends, get ready, and be a part of that. And we will see you soon. Well, we hope that you're enjoying this series, Get in the Game. And I hope that you join us next week on Wednesday. Jay Warner Wallace is our guest speaker, and he's going to share his incredible story about coming to faith through cold case techniques. We hope to see you then.